Welcome to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, a chill is in the air. It's so exciting, Tony. I'm so happy. It, it is oh, the I second happiest you ever are. Oh, because the, the first happiest is when it's snowing. That is correct. Yes. That is it correct. It is so true. I love Incredibly it. Incredibly predictably. I love it. Someone wandering around with a short sleeve chef coat in the snow with a smile on her face. Big one. Is you. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, but... I mean, as soon as it, that chill hits the air, it's funny. I want different wine. Absolutely. I want different food. Mm-hmm. The other, the different ingredients are coming. You have, we have that little overlap time, you know, where like the last heirloom tomatoes show up and mm-hmm. the first butternut squash show up and all that kind of business, and that makes sense. But now, now we're getting into the, I mean, we're, we're getting into the season, you know, that God bless it, corn stalks are showing up in places. Oh, we already started carving pumpkins for the restaurant. The cooks do such a good job. We're so excited about it. I'm like, you know what? Look, uh, Everardo and I were like, yeah, let's just start doing it now. We'll get a couple each, you know, a couple of days. Uh, They only last a couple of days anyway. So, you know, it's fun. Everybody loves doing it. We're cooks. We like to carve stuff. (laughs) Fun with knives. We we like to grab the knives and use them. Fun with knives. So let's reach into your your memory banks. Mm -hmm. Close your eyes. Yes. Even on the radio, they can see if you have your eyes open. <laughs> so clo- close your eyes, and when you think of you're eight years old, you're coming home from school, it's chilly. Mm. It's like the first days where it's chilly. What is it that you want to eat? That's funny because I don't even know if you know, but my mom always had a snack for me when I came home from school, especially when I was little, uh, and that was our time to talk, which was very important for me because, you know, you need somebody to talk to sometimes after school. Um, it, that immediately, which, you know, maybe not so much fall, but definitely winter, but hot chocolate and toast. That was a big snack for my mom to give, and she made, you know, hot chocolate from Nestle's Quick, I think it was. Isn't that what it was called? I mean, it wasn't, you know, something fancy, yeah. but she put milk in it instead of water. And um, I used to love that. And you would dunk your toast in there. And that was one of the things she would give me when it was cold outside or cool outside. For me, it was apples. She would slice like apples. I, My mother like, was also very much into f- serving fresh fruit and vegetables. So she would uh, slice apples, too. We were boys. We were like little animals. There's a bowl of apples. <laughs> you can grab the one you want. Oh, that's fun. The thing is with apples, I mean, it's if it's 1972, the apples are apples. Mm-hmm. We know them all by varietal names now, and yeah, and uh, and and it's funny because they would, and you know, they just kind of came rolling in with the season anyway. Mm-hmm. You'd see the colors change and the shapes change, you yeah. Know, but it was just red apples and green apples. So around this time of the year is when. Fuji's would show up, or the Johnny Golds would show up, or you know things along the the little firmer, better acid, still sweet. Well, my mom used to make applesauce. We we talked about this not too long ago, but that was another thing that this time of the year she always made fresh applesauce, which was great because she would often serve, you know, a pork chop or something for dinner, and that was an accompaniment with with dinner. She she always liked green beans slow cooked with. A piece of ham, and oftentimes she would then serve of the pork chop, and then if you had the apple on the side, mm, that was uh, pretty good. And it was always warm. 
she used to also do something that was super fun. Um, she would make start to make different types of cookies in the fall. I, I I think of peanut butter, quite frankly. I think that's when she would start to make peanut butter <laughs> cookies. And, um, you know, and she always scored the top with her fork. I always loved that. I always thought that was magical when she would do that. I'm like, ooh, when did you, how did you think of that when I was little? Um, but, yeah, the, 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 the whole uh, the whole warm sort of – she would make the cookie dough, and then she would actually bake them right after dinner. So you would get hot cookies for dessert. That was a pretty cool idea that she did. She would do that with her sour cream drops, too. She would just have them mix in the refrigerator and then bake them near the end of the meal. I th- she she had a daughter that was a chef. I mean, you know where I get it, <laughs> you know? Well, <laughs> I get you, it honestly. Your mom genuinely loves food. She does, so. and she a, was a very good home cook. So let, let's let's talk a bit on ingredients for this season. Mm-hmm. And let's start with apples. So what do you like to work with? I know what I like to work with. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the honey crisps, and um, I'm, well, the sugar content is oh, it's t- off the charts. That's yep. one thing you kind of have to manage. My niece, my niece, uh, just uh, loves them and can't wait for them to be available. And, uh, and she's an adult, and um, you know, we always would have cheese and and uh, the honey crisps together. And but as far as cooking them, um, you know, I, they make such a great accompaniment to to duck. Uh, I do like to peel apples when I'm working with them in that way. Uh, While the peel is very, very good for you and holds a lot of vitamins and everything, you should eat it. Um, I I just, I don't like the texture of it once you start cooking them. It starts to sort of give you something that's not totally appealing. So we peel them, core them, uh, obviously stem them, and um, cut them into a medium dice so you still get some body and crispness. Um, I like to add a little bit of, um, so if you're sauteing them, Add a little bit of foie gras at the end, like diced up foie gras, so that that helps to coat the apples a little bit, gives it a new flavor, and serve that, deglaze that pan with a little bit of cognac and add a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of stock to give it a little bit of viscosity and coating it, and serve it with a beautiful couple slices of magre and that little crunchy apple and the richness of the foie gras sort of melting into the sauce. That's a lot of fun. Add a little bit of chestnuts to that. You know, I love chestnuts so much. Um... I used to, when I had my farm, I had um, multiple huge old chestnut trees lining the drive, and I miss those so much. We, we've talked about it on the show before because you made fun of me because you think I go over there and steal them from the people that bought my farm from me. I, I would never. I'm, I'm, I'm often tempted to, but <laughs> I've never done that. <laughs> but yeah, the chestnut, a little bit of uh, roasted chestnut in there, maybe not you know halved or quartered pieces, nice and tender, gently heated up in butter, and, and uh, just sort of garnish that whole... Apple foie gras stuff. Oh, that would be so good with magre. I was thinking about something more modest. <laughs> I never think of anything <laughs> modest, Tony. No, you know me? no. That's. I mean, I was thinking of my great grandmother. Her her thing with apples, green apples is what she'd get. Usually, grannies, I expect, mm-hmm. and peel them, slice them, get them warm and soft and butter, with a couple of cloves in the pan. Mm, nice. And just gave it a little perfume. Mm-hmm. And that was a very typical, you know, whether, whether it was with a piece of pork. Mm-hmm. Um, she was big on, like, having a pork shoulder or something like that. Good. And then just heating up pieces of it. I mean, what If you're a Frenchman, you call them a fricasse. Mm-hmm. And then serve with some apples like that. Oh, for for a family meal, uh, uh, apples and cabbage. Those that's the oh typical. yeah, delicious. For family meal, we often do a braised pork. Um, you know, that's uh, 
made in a you know a, the Mexican style, basically with a lot of cumin and garlic and all kinds of wonderful spices. Those apples would be so good with that. It would really lift it. I think that's the thing too. You know, when you talk about apples, you have something that's acidic and sweet. And it lifts other things, particularly as I mentioned the dish with the magre. You've got that, you know, piece of fat on top that's so gorgeous and beautiful, but that's rich. And if you add something like the little dice of foie gras, that's rich and fatty. You've got this beautiful uh, fruit lifting all that dish with its, uh, its acidity level and crunchiness. There's a salad this time of the year that I like to make that people always go nuts for. Mm-hmm. Um, because the good, all everything that's in the cabbage family at all starts to be, you know, have more flavor. It's great right now. Once the weather cools off, radicchio in particular. Oh, nice. You know, and, and it has that bitter, super crunchy edge to it. It wants sweet. The Fuji apples come at the same time as the radicchio gets good. Mm-hmm. So a salad of radicchio and the Fujis doesn't need a whole lot else to make it interesting. Make a very simple vinaigrette uh, with a little Dijon mustard, uh, shallot, a neutral oil, and some extra virgin mix, like Mm 50-50. So it's a little bit milder flavor. And about, probably, the resting is about 60% oil, about 40% vinegar. I like things to have a snap, you know. Mm -hmm. And that that 40% vinegar is about three-quarter just red wine vinegar and a quarter balsamico, but the simple balsamico, not the old stuff. Right. Got just it. to give that little woodsy edge mm-hmm. to that dressing and yeah. salt and pepper, and 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 the, just those two things, very simply. Mm-hmm. And you you can certainly add walnuts. It's nice in that situation, but that's that's a little more bitter on top of bitter. You start talking about that, it brings back memories from the restaurant where you used to do that, and. Uh, it makes me think of Marcona almonds. I'll never forget the first time we I tasted a Marcona almond. They're so they're so beautiful, and that that oh, would be you're fun. Oh, you're talking about the Manchego manzana, right? That that salad. That, that oh dish. my goodness, yeah. But you know, I remember this doing is, that and then getting bored and doing put it on the menu as Manchego manzana 2.0. <laughs> People went crazy. I'm like, I'm bored with this. Oh, that that was a great salad. But so that was Manchego cheese, like fresh, like three month Manchego cheese, sheep's milk, firm cheese, mild. Uh, Granny Smith apples, typically. Was it like a batonet? Everything cut in a batonet. So you kind of yeah, couldn't tell yeah. the cheese which is from the apples, which exactly. is fun. Exactly, yeah. And then uh, basil and mint, a big shift mm. out of those guys. I didn't guys. know there's mint in there. That's nice. The, a vinaig- very light lemon vinaigrette um, with just neutral oil and, and a little bit, just literally something to keep it, you know, it's not like you need to add a lot of snap to it. Mm-hmm. Um, almost no salt. Um, Marcona almonds, like you talked about, just like crushed and tossed in there. And dates. Oh, yeah, dates. It was <gasps> the little punctuations oh, of the like very sweet, mm-hmm. like tiniest, tiniest dice. Yeah. Good salad. T- tossed in there. And yeah, you get little surprises with each like combination of bites. Well, and, you know, you talk about all these nuts that are growing right now because obviously that's the season as well. You know, with walnut oil, oh, my gosh, it's just one of my favorite oils. And, and, and be careful with that. You don't want to have one that's been sitting in your cabinet since last year. It, it will lose its beautiful well, the, tone. Uh, uh, extra virgin olive oil, nut oil, they need to turn those, over. Exactly. And, 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 and this is a good time to rethink your spices from last year, too, because, you know, things lose their, you know, 
you know, they lose pungency. Vivacity. And, and, I don't know what's the word. Yeah, vivacity yeah. is a good word for it. <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah. So you so but with the walnut oil, I mean that salad. Any of those salads, you could have tossed walnut oil on there um, instead. And you know, walnut. I love walnut oil and the manchego cheese and the balsamico together, or Reggiano. You know, nice big pieces of Reggiano in a salad. Maybe you're doing um, mustard greens or something that's got real, you know, spice level to it and things like that. Oh, Those things that's have. The, that's the thing I neglected to mention the radicchio and, and Fuji apple salad was just a little Reggiano. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I thought there, yeah. yeah. And it's just that you know, want the little bit of fat, the little, the little bit of salt. And if you have pumpkins that you've roasted, and you want, you know, what do I do with them? Do I do I make soup? Do I use them as a vegetable? You know, as a side dish? What a little walnut oil and a touch of balsamic, like just a little bit of balsamico funny, with pumpkin. Oh it's my funny goodness! That you mentioned that, so I'm gonna make a caprese mm. with roasted pumpkin, but they've been roasted in in, in a little bit of like slightly off dry wine so like in, in a moist atmosphere mm-hmm. you know may, maybe steamed as much as they are roasted and then because you, you got to get so much water out of pumpkins yes and so you have to be really patient with that that's and we can talk about varieties of pumpkins to mm-hmm. cook but mm-hmm. that so caprese with the roasted pumpkin that's slightly sweet has like maybe a little bit of honey and a little bit of salt, and the, and the buffalo mozzarella, <laughs> and walnut oil, fresh walnuts, just like cracked, toasted a little bit. Mm-hmm. I I don't even know what like what else would you possibly want? No, that's great. That's that that's a <sighs> nice. It's so autumnal. nice to have a fall salad. I just, what you I want is it. a big fat glass of Gewurztraminer. Oh, the dry Gewurztraminer that they make in the Alto Adige. I can smell it now. Yeah, with that little spicy edge to it. Well, I, we, we just brought in quail, and um, I'm so excited because we do have our, our local pumpkins, and I, I absolutely want to do like a pumpkin stuffing, you know, maybe a little brioche in there and some beautiful sweet onions, uh, a little bit of cipollini chopped up and added to it as well. I just I think a pumpkin stuffing just sounds so good. I'm always amused with working with cipollinis because they're flower bulbs. Yeah. And they they even though they're called cipollini onions, they they always there's just a different personality that's there. They're beautiful. They're very very sweet, and I love how crunchy they are. We roast them in the skins with we just toss them in corn oil, salt, and pepper, and roast them until they're starting to be tender. Take the skin off. So let let's get into all things pumpkin, pumpkin recipes and and the stuffing and sweets and varieties of pumpkin in our next segment in just a moment on Formidable Phone Food and Wine on WYPR. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. Let's get one thing out of the way while we're talking pumpkins. We're talking <laughs> autumnal ingredients, right? Yes. Let's, uh, let's get one, like, the, the, the elephant in the room, right? Pumpkin spice. 
what is that supposed to mean? Because everything, and you can get your sheets pumpkin spice at this point. <laughs> what, what, what do you think that is supposed to mean? I don't know. There was, there was a chef in D.C., um, and he worked for a company that you and I worked for, who once in a, in a big meeting of the, uh, in the company mentioned he was going to make a pumpkin soup with spices con- conducive to pumpkin. Hmm. Some limitations <laughs> so I think, there. I think that that's what's, I think <laughs> that's, that's what's meant. Right. But I mean, what, what, what's on your short list? I know it's on my well, you know, all spice is beautiful with pumpkin. You know, um, you mentioned clove, <clears throat> star anise works, cinnamon, uh, anything in that sort of earthy, beautiful cumin. If you are looking for that tone, chili powder and pumpkin might be a little strong. It depends on what you're doing with it. So you, those are the those are the that's the arena. Yeah, I think mace throw it in there mm-hmm. or nutmeg, right? Nutmeg for sure. Yeah, but it's you know I I I don't want anything that someone else makes. I I, I want it to be in con- I want to be in control of my spices at all times. <laughs> it, it, when you can get dry ginger. Really good dry ginger. Yeah, I'm not fond of dried ginger. Mm, that's not one of my favorites, but yeah, sure, of course, use it if you like and, it. And and all time secret weapon, cardamom. Oh yeah. Because it really perfumes. Yeah, cardamom is really quite amazing. Little dry ginger, cardamom, uh, yellow mustard seed. Mm, mm-hmm. Really, really, you kind of get all three yeah, layers. Yeah, that's pretty. That's of fun. aromatics through the through the, through whatever the pumpkin application yeah, it, is. Yeah, I think pumpkin spice also comes from making pumpkin pies. You know, I think that's really the origin of that. And so, uh-huh. you know, and we're talking savory things pretty much right now, anyway. Uh-huh. So, a- any I mean, anytime it's funny. Anytime my great grandmother worked with pumpkins, there's always molasses involved at some point. Oh, uh, I love. So it. I always feel Dark like molasses. that when you think of pumpkin spice and, and, and big air quotes, I always feel like mm, and that if that's the base note. Is that molasses that? Yeah, that's so know, southern. Yeah, that delicious. invites that. That in, you know, it's you have to think of those things in layers. Right? I like a little booze in there with that too. You know, I mean, you're talking well, bourbon. Well, rum, rum's your natural. Yeah, or rum. Yeah, one or the other. So um, let's talk varieties of pumpkins. So we we get those really cool spooky white pumpkins are not good for cooking. No. <laughs> right. Jack o' lanterns are not good for cooking. No. And those are two that you see a lot. You can roast the seeds. Fairy tale pumpkins, the really the, the the ones that have the big like smooth ridges on the sides. What color are they? Uh, brown. They can run kind of orangey, a little bit green. Okay. Yeah, I love um, those. F- fairy tales, and, and they can be pretty big too. They have pretty dense flesh. What you want for most cooking is is pretty dense flesh. Mm-hmm. They can be great. My all-time favorite, you know, are the rouge pumpkins. It looks like the pumpkin out of Charlie Brown. They're just kind of too red, too orange. <laughs> um, you know, th- those can be really good. I have some of those at the restaurant. Yeah, it may be time to roast some of those. We had them uh, decorating, but I think their job needs to be cooked. I had, a, I had a fantasy about, like, pumpkin shortbread. Oh, that sounds good. You know. Yeah. Or pumpkin spoonbread, even. Because yeah. pum- pumpkins, corn, like pumpkin and corn, they definitely mm-hmm. you you got two things of pretty good natural sugar content that come around the same time. Yeah, you know, when I make polenta, it's one cup of polenta with four cups of cream, a little bit of salt, and if you were to uh, if you were to make uh, spoon bread out of that, you would add about seven whole eggs, three yolks to that mixture, and you just you, you if since you're going to end up baking the spoon bread in the oven. 
unlike if you were making creamy polenta that would take 40 minutes on low heat, low and slow on the stove, uh, you only cook it about 20 minutes, about half the time, and then you add the you whisk the yolks and the eggs together, then you temper them into the uh, the creamy polenta mixture and bake it in a water bath in little ramekins or whatever dishes you'd like to use at a low low oven temperature, about 280 degrees. It usually takes about 40 minutes, but it all depends on your oven. And um, I love spoon bread, and it would be so much fun to put some small dice of uh, roasted pumpkin in there. Well, would you do it as small? I was going to say you'd have to roast it. You have to get some of that. It would water have to be roasted there. first. It would have to be. It would ruin the custard otherwise. I, w- I would you'd, just you'd roast the pumpkin and roast either, it and put it through a food mill. You could do that. Actually, I wouldn't. I would if it's possible to still you know roast it and have it be diced. That's really in this situation, it would be optimal. Um, so maybe you just cook it a little bit less so it's not all shredded up and you know. Unlike if you wanted to use it for a pastry like a, a flan or a creme brulee, where you'd want it, then you do roasted to get to slowly to just really just dry the water out, mm-hmm. and then season it, puree it. Yeah, well, and 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 honestly, for something like that too, a good, excellent quality blender can puree it, and that will be really you know you don't have to use a food mill even. Um, in that case, I think a blender, and you can pass it through a tammy too, uh, just a fine sieve so that you can get any weird particles out as well. Yeah, I mean, that's there's a lot of fiber, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is another reason why they're good for you. But it's not what you want in your flan. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I make pumpkin, I'm well, I make butternut squash risotto, and I was thinking about making pumpkin risotto today. And I think from a spice profile there, I, this is where I would put just a tiny bit of chili powder in just to give it that punch. Yes. It's funny that you mentioned the, the chili powder, because as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh. Put a little guajillo chili in there, that little smoky, mm-hmm. like almost dark flavor. Yeah, and I just I just want to make it very simply with very little spice, you know, that you really are celebrating uh, the pumpkin, and um, but finish it with crispy pancetta. Like, you know, like serve it with pieces of crisp, maybe even on the side of the bowl or something so that, you know, it doesn't ever get affected by the risotto itself. But, you know, I can just see eating pumpkin risotto with a little bit of chili powder flavor in it, nice onion, shallot, maybe even a tiny bit of garlic, but have that like thin, paper thin slices of crispy pancetta that you just like eat bites of between the the bites of the risotto. The combination, I love the idea of, but I will admit that I'm like, mm, I'd rather have like the pancetta crisp and in in the risotto to finish, have the little bursts of flavor with it, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Either way. <laughs> it all works. <laughs> yeah, the, com- the combo I love, though, making me think about a roasted pumpkin BLT. Mm. You know, with like escarole this time of the year. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Really nice, <laughs> like sweet roasted pumpkin with a little, se- with little seasoning to it, maybe a decent amount of black pepper. And whether it's like pancetta or guanciale, guanciale is strong, yeah, you know, it's yeah. nice like that. That a little mayonnaise, which is like mm. aioli but with, with a fresh thyme. Mm-hmm. You know, that, give me that on big fat piece of focaccia as, as a sandwich. I'll be okay with that. You know, my all-time favorite beignet. I wonder how a pumpkin beignet with like a little bit of maybe bread. I don't know. So, or, or, you know, so what would what would you put in a mixture to make a pumpkin beignet? Like maybe a little bit of prosciutto or, you know, maybe a little bit of surprise cheese in there. Like a little tiny bit of goat cheese or something in there. Make little... You could put you could put a little bit of mascarpone in there, and oh. I was going to say you could put pine nuts in there. Oh, that would be fun. You know, 
pumpkin and pecans. That's a beautiful thing too. What What is your all time favorite pumpkin dessert to make? I I I love I love a pumpkin flan. So that that's easy. Um, you know, with that, you do well. Actually, let's do creme caramel. So, you know, you caramelize your sugar, and obviously anytime you're working with caramelized sugar, you have to be very, very careful because it's it's such a high uh, temperature. And um, you have your Pyrex dishes or whatever you're using to make the creme caramel. You caramelize your sugar first. You pour that into the uh, dishes, let it cool down, and you have your make your custard, which, again, is one quart of cream, so seven whole eggs and three yolks. And then you can, this, I would definitely put cinnamon in, probably a little bit of uh, nutmeg, a little bit of alcohol. I would definitely put Gosling's uh, Black Seal Rum in with the pumpkin and then add the pumpkin to the mixture. You're going to have to strain it and uh, pour it into the custard. And you want to bake that around 275 degrees in a water bath, very gently. Um, No convection, you know, a still oven, long time, probably two and a half hours. But Want to watch your sugar content whenever you make creme caramel because of the sugar in the bottom. Um, obviously, it doesn't all release from the bottom of the container, but usually, if you put enough in there, you're going to have a nice amount of that liquidy, you know, s- sugar syrup. What it ends up yeah, being, I mean, you it's know, just a, your yeah, warm caramel sauce. Oh, so good, <laughs> yeah, exactly, and yeah. So just watch the sugar content of everything in the custard, so you're not overdoing it. People don't eat creme caramel often enough when when it's still warm. Well, you know, I've made the individual the sorry the uh, the big one for parties. Oh, the terrine, yeah. Oh, the terrine. I mean, that's so impressive too to do for your family. You know, just use your your pate mold um, and um, put the the, the uh, caramelized sugar in the bottom of that and pour in your custard. It takes a little longer to bake because it's taller and it's it's sort of a challenge to turn that thing out. Uh, but once you get the custard out of there, it's it, it put it on a beautiful platter. All that caramel comes out. It's really lovely. It's fun to take to a table, whether it's in your home or like serving a restaurant, and just do a slice. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Just do a do a slice and and spoon a little bit of the sauce. Yeah, have it like a f- sort of a flatter spoon if you have one, maybe to get that sauce up there, because you want it for sure. Yeah, flans, creme caramels are fun to make. That is one of the stranger desserts to match with wine. Oh, okay. You know, it's the kind of thing, like, it's a relatively straightforward dessert. Mm-hmm. There are not a bunch of different things going on, so you think, oh, that's easy. But it's eggs. <laughs> eggs, are, eggs are tricky. Think about matching wine with an omelet. Okay. Or, or wine with quiche, you know. I'd like to think about I, that right now. Yeah. <laughs> so we always try to do the show when we're hungry. Um it's both sweet and it is the egg thing. So, like some dessert wines, like Sauternes, doesn't necessarily work. And you think, well, maybe it's just like slightly off dry bubbles. It gets a little strange. You got to get the acidity exactly right. With that, um, it's funny. It's a f- French dessert. You think of, though some people would say it's 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 really originally from Spain. <laughs> Fl- flan is For essentially sure. the same thing. Yeah. Sweet cherries. Oh, good. Okay. Like, it, you, you kind of have to overkill the sweet in order for the wine to work. So, Pedro Jimenez from the south of Spain certainly works. It has almost like a little bit of a raisiny character, which is something that's nice uh, with that, with that, really with the pumpkin, with that particular mm-hmm. pastry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Pasitos, in the, uh, again, in Italy, 
whether it's one of the pasitos from uh, near Verona. I don't know what that is. What's what Pas- is it? Pasito is made from dried grapes. Okay. But that, that raisiny character kind of gets you over the egg and it just connects with the sweet part of it. Sounds good. Yeah. And it went... And, and the the intensity also manages to be there. Well, doesn't doesn't and the al- sherry and the alcohol is not super high? On the sherry, it is. But on pasitos, it's not. Okay. Doesn't sherry have sort of like a natural nutty tone to it anyway? So that's yeah, why of course. it just is so pretty together. Yeah. All right. Good solution. So good to know. That's good. It's nice to know what to do with sherry. Well, if you're making this and you're how... celebrating, it's kind of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't always well, know what to so do. Well, there's so many kinds of sherry. Right. Well, I, I love cooking with sherry, but I don't ever really serve it. At home, I don't think to serve it. I just like to cook with it. So that's uh, good to know. It's not as much in a lexicon. It's a little bit like these days. American whiskey largely is more popular than than Scotch or single malt whiskey from wherever, because malt whiskeys read more savory, mm-hmm. and American whiskeys made from corn, yeah, read more sweet. Okay, you know. So it's a little bit the same thing with with sherry, especially the drier sherries. The, the alcohol is strong. They're, they're close to 20%. And they're intense. And they have lots of savory flavors. There are layers of sweetness with some of them. And those tend to be the ones that people, the off-dry and the sweet, that people are attracted to. But some of the, you know, there, there are Manzanilla sherry that are just gorgeous. Can I ask how long you can o- leave a bottle of sherry open before you shouldn't um, drink it anymore? One, I would treat it like wine. So sherry, if you're not going to finish it, put it in the fridge. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And, and just like a bottle of vintage port, you don't want to have it out forever. It's not like it just sits on your bar like a bottle of whiskey. Right, okay. You know, it's the same thing with, with vermouth. I mean, it's a wine product. Hmm. You know, if, you, if you're going to have it, it should be kept cool. It should be used relatively expeditiously. Okay, good to know. You know, if it's if it's four months later and it's still sitting there, it's not right. Not so great. Yeah. It's okay. not right. I remember my I grew up with uh, my mother's decanter on the dining room table with sherry in it, and I think it was in there for years. <laughs> I, I think people just didn't know. I, th- I think then. a lot of that. Well, I think a lot of that came out of the English, and the English are pretty good at drinking it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess we weren't good at drinking it, so it just sat there. That, yeah, I mean yep. that's that's kind of the thing that, like, if I it's fun even as simple as like vermouth. If I'm if I'm if I'm buying vermouth for home. I'm going to buy a half bottle because you it's, it's probably the right shelf life. Yeah, use it. Hey, two last pumpkins. Mm-hmm. You know the ones you see that have like all what looks like little like weird peanuts growing on them? Yes. Those are good for cooking also. Oh, good. What are they called? Do they have a name? Weird peanuts just like looking we, pumpkins? Yeah, like weird names from right. farmers. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's everybody kind of has their own, it seems like. And then ones that generally are called banana pumpkins, and they can be gigantic. And they're long. They kind of look like this, you know, zucchini from outer space a lot of times. <laughs> All right. They can be like red and orange and green. And we had, we had one that was like 120 pounds one time. Oh, my gosh. When, when Mario was working with me at the, the one place. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. But the, the that was the sweetest one I've ever had. It's amazing. We made so to much. Cook 120 pounds. We made pumpkin. so much paella. With, with with like that and like, you know, 10 pounds of porcini mushrooms. Oh, wonderful. Holy smokes. And a lot of garlic. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that, yeah, that that was an amazing pumpkin. But those banana pumpkins are also, like, they're not cute. You won't decorate with them. But, boy, they're good for cooking. Good to know. 
And if you want to just use pieces of them, we would put on the plancha, you cut a thin slice, you know, you peel off the exterior, mm-hmm. season it nicely. Yeah. Go right on the plancha. That sounds great. Both sides. Brown both sides. Yeah. A little goat's cheese. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Worthwhile. That sounds great. Worthwhile. Anyway, we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. We're stuck in pumpkin patch. <laughs> uh, when we come back, uh, we've got more autumnal ingredients to cover, including chestnuts. You touched on chestnuts. And uh, a few more goodies on WYPR. Welcome back to Foreman of Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, it's, so we're talking autumn ingredients. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> I did what I do when I can actually get them up in the morning early enough. You know, waking up an eight-year-old and a five-year-old girl at six o'clock in the morning is not always easy. <laughs> they will wake up at that time when... Wait until they're 16. When, and... when they want to wake up. <laughs> right, right. And then they will leap on top of your head. Oh, well, that's fun. Yeah. Morning, Dad. So that's cute. Um, but this past weekend, you know, just as all of these crops are coming, you know, they, they made me promise because they wanted to go pick out their pumpkins. Oh, that's fun. So we picked out, I think, eleven pumpkins. Oh, what? You know, oh, just all <laughs> kinds of. Yeah, that's there's a, a there's a whole riot. That's fun. There's a riot of pumpkins on our porch. Good. Um, but uh, one has already gone down for. Uh, to be roasted so we can use the puree to mm-hmm. actually to make baia. So looking for ingredients, I'm like, girls, what do you want? They're, they're drawn to the colors this time of the year, you know? So, but then, so the, the purple cauliflower I had to have. The bright yellow cheddar cauliflower I had to have. Those are great. And they love cauliflower. God bless them. Yeah, I love cauliflower too. Mm. You know, so pretty. All the greens that Dad was grabbing, <laughs> you know, the Osaka mustard greens and the bulls were those blood appealing beet greens. to the little children? No, but they were <laughs> they were to my my middle aged digestion. Well, there you go. Got to feed all the people and good healthful stuff. And I'll sneak in, you know, like golden beets. They love the beets, but I'll sneak the greens into the pasta that the beets go into. That kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Tricky, Dad. So, but I mean, that's honestly, it's also like if, if make them chicken soup, you know, save the beet greens. Great. Just go right in the chicken soup. Love it. But then they saw the Brussels sprouts. Ooh, do they like those? One, they like them. Okay. Well, they, that's they, amazing. Their father can cook a little bit. Yeah, but Brussels sprouts are super strong in flavor and weird. And yes, I just can't imagine yes, children I, liking them. I, I, I don't see, care I, how good I of a cook you them. are. That's good, though. Well, that's great. Well, that's, so, that's a way. But they had not seen them growing. Oh, yeah. When you buy the full, you know, the little trees, <laughs> the stock. right? Yeah, yeah. You buy the whole stock. So they were yeah. greatly amused. And they picked out their own stocks. <laughs> and 
they insisted on helping me, you know, cut all the Brussels sprouts off the stalks because when that was done, then they could have a sword fight oh, with the remainder of the Brussels awesome. sprout stalks. Do you have any have idea children. how far little pieces of Brussels sprout stalk can fly? Oh, boy. When children swing them at each other? <laughs> yeah. I, mm-hmm. I hope this but, was outside. No. Oh. No, be realistic. It's in my kitchen. Wow. So this <laughs> It's like on the window. So, but last night, they're having dinner. What do they want? They want Brussels sprouts, purple cauliflower. You know, it's just very simple. Roasted chicken, Brussels sprouts, purple cauliflower, and a little bit of butter for the Brussels sprouts and the cauliflower. And, and for those vegetables, I mean, they like very simply, very hot pan, you know, oil. Get them, begin, just caramelize a tiny bit. Salt have them jump, you know, real saute, mm-hmm. and then slow it down, butter, a little bit of soy. Oh, fun. A little bit of honey. Nice. Not much, just a little tiny drizzle. Mostly if they see you doing it, they know it's going to be tasty. Uh, all right. <laughs> you know, they, they witnessed like the smallest amount of honey ever being added to. <laughs> oh, it's kind of honey. It's, it's going to be It's going to be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, but th- yeah, they eat just a ton of it. Mm. Well, very honestly, the butter and the honey, the soy, the st- for strong vegetables, that's an easy, mm-hmm. easy little combo. Good. Love it. What else was in market? Anything else for autumnal vegetables that you well, saw? I mean, honestly, all, all the nice peppers. It was a great oh, season for peppers. Mm-hmm. And so, but hot ones, the, the last, uh, like bells, uh, but like late padrones. Okay. Uh, oh, poblanos, gorgeous poblanos. Yeah, my, my jalapeno plant is still producing beautifully. Uh, I know we had frost, so I'm not sure how much longer. Even my lemon verbena plants are still gorgeous. It's been an unusual season, it's long a, one. It's a, a nice season. Yeah. We, we we have been very fortunate with all the crazy climate stuff going on. Yeah, right. Absolutely. In our part we of the country. We have been fortunate this season. So with poblanos, I know you love poblanos. I do. So talk about... A nice autumnal poblano dish, side dish. I always think of stuffing them with like rice, but what else do you like to do? Yeah, uh, well, one of the I like to roast them. They roast so beautifully, like most peppers. And then you have the advantage of pulling the skin off of them, which is the least appealing part. And we roast them whole. A nice amount of uh, neutral oil, corner canola. Good, good amount of kosher salt, a little bit of freshly ground black pepper. So super simple. Just coat it all, toss it in a bowl, coat it all, and roast them whole at 325 degrees until they're, you know, starting to be tender. You don't want them to completely implode. And um, and then you once they cool down, then you pull out the pith and the seeds and cut the stem off, and then cut them. I like to cut them in large panels. I just I just love a beautiful big piece of roasted poblano pepper, and it's just so good with venison, any kind of strong flavored meat. So you just kind of lay it on the plate. Exactly, and then I hit it with extra virgin olive oil to serve it. So you know, warm it. You can either pop it on your grill outside. You know, do the slice, which is another reason to slice it like that, um, and then. When it comes off, a little bit tiny bit more kosher salt and just hit it with a great extra virgin olive oil and serve it with a grilled piece of venison, you know, like a venison loin, a bison loin, uh, tender, you know, rack chop, any of those things. But poblanos, you know, and also I make a sauce, a cre- you know, a cream-based sauce that I either serve as a sauce or as a soup. 
And um, I use those same poblanos. We saute onions and shallots and a little bit of butter until they're tender. And then add a whole bunch of roasted poblano peppers that are cleaned and cream a little bit of chicken stock if you want it and um, and let it cook. It doesn't even take long. I mean, you can make the soup in like, once the peppers are cooked, you can make the soup in like 20 minutes. And always remember anytime you're working with cream that you're you're going very low and slow on the heat and stir and scrape the bottom of the pot, sides of the pot. And once it's nice and tender and the flavors have mingled, then puree it and pass it through a fine sieve. And it makes a great sauce for, again, venison, bison, beef tenderloin. You can put that with pork, any strongly flavored meat. I wouldn't do it with lamb so much, but the the other meats. And then, um, yeah, or you can just make it straight into a soup. I've served that for a d'oeuvre soup, and people go crazy for it. So pretty. Poblanos, when you're working with them like that, roasted, seeded, and peeled. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Skins are gone. Mm-hmm. That's really the only, that's the only thing. It's slow. Some people get slowed down by peeling peppers. It does take some time, but gosh, it's it's just it's well, especially if you're going to eat them as they are. It really is worth it to remove it. And you know, if it, it can come off if you steam them properly afterwards. You know, put them in a uh, bowl with a piece of plastic wrap over the skin comes off. It's not too hard to get it off. It's worth the work. I'm looking for an excuse now because while you're talking about poblanos, and I was thinking about the corn and the pumpkins and how I like the idea of that together. Mm-hmm. How about a stuffing with cornbread, pumpkin, mm-hmm. poblanos? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. little onion. Whether maybe, Yes, you could serve it on Thanksgiving, but that doesn't have to be the only time you serve stuffing. No, my gosh. I'm serving some tonight with well, my quail. Well, of course, you, you need an onion as part of the base yeah, of it. Right, right. Yeah, I'm making cornbread and tasso ham stuffing tonight for the quail we got in from the farm, and I, I just can't wait to make it. Maybe I'll put some poblanos in there. I like that idea. And, you know, I don't normally, but I would I would like to put some pecans in there, too. Not if I do the poblanos. But if I do the cornbread with the andouille sausage or the tasso ham, I'm definitely putting pecans in there tonight. That'll be that'll be delish. The other thing I was buying, the other thing I always want are are the strong greens this time of the year. There, there are beans coming. Mm-hmm. We spent a lot of time on beans in the course of this past year. You know, the, the October beans, the cranberry beans that come this time of the year are some of the best of the entire year. That's exciting. And fun to work with. Definitely. Um, but greens, strong greens. And and I know you make pretty old school I do. collards I'm... pretty consistently. I, I also like just the quick saute. Oh, for sure. With, you know, just honestly, just mustard greens, ginger, garlic, you know, done. Right. Well, with collard greens, we make a smoked ham hock broth. Uh, so... Mirepoix, like always, carrot, celery, onion, and then I usually I do a large amount of smoked ham hocks, and it, it does take several hours uh, to really get all the good flavor out of them. And then the fun thing is is we make tacos with the pulled meat from the smoked ham hocks afterwards, which are so, so fun to eat. Um, but smoked ham hocks, carrot, celery, onion, water. I do add eventually add chicken and veal stock to our smoked ham hock, so you don't have to do that step, but it richens it up a little bit and gives it a little bit more than you know one note, as you would say. And uh, we add a good bit of Tabasco to it at the end, but we make the stock first; it's complete. Then we add the Tabasco, not you know at the very end. We put it back on the stove. It's strained, goes back onto the stove, and then we chop our collard greens. Um, say the collard green is. You know, they can be huge. Um, I prefer smaller ones, but let's say it's like, what, 8, 10 inches. Um, We would cut that piece into like four strips. Uh, We pull the rib out. 
So we, you, you want to wash collard greens really well. A lot of um, bugs like to live in there. Um, I think moths or something like to live. I don't know what it is, but there's something that, anyway. They're so not delicious. J- just yeah. clean them well, yeah, and then pull the rib out and then stack that. We stack them and then we chop them into pretty big pieces. And then uh, it usually takes 40, 45 minutes to slow cook collards. Um, it can take even longer if they're older or tougher. And um, But, I mean, there's no, I And I just made that into they're, a soup they're, they're always on Sunday. Better. They're always better the second day. Oh, my goodness. So much better the Let second day. Let them just sit in the liquor overnight. And yeah. But, yeah, I made soup. I pureed it. I put it back on the stove uh, on Sunday. And... Um, and uh, let it cook a little bit longer and pureed it into oblivion and passed it through a fine sieve. And, I mean, it's just so flavorful and gorgeous, delicious. And we, we, I made more yesterday, and we served it with a little piece of crispy polenta uh, that we fried on pickup. So you, you, we wanted to give you something like a cracker or something, a piece of bread to eat with the collard grain soup and came up with that idea of the crispy polenta and super fun to have on the side. A little quick aside on greens, and then we'll just go to chestnuts very quickly. Years ago, we were making little tiny malabini pasta, mm. a little ravioli filled with goat's cheese. And they were served on a, a Tuscan kale soup, that black kale, super dark, intense, a little irony, and it had really nice flavor. And I recall reading a, a review of the restaurant that mentioned the dish and said, the pasta was quite good. The soup tasted very much of kale. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. It was probably the idea. Mm. But I don't know. I, I, th- I think it was meant to be derogatory. It was, mm-hmm. kinda, it was funny. <laughs> anyway, chestnuts. So when, when you go steal chestnuts from the neighbors, <laughs> yeah, how do you work with them? What, what, what do you so have to do? You have to wash, wash them first. Look to see if there are wormholes in them. Discard them if you just see it that way because you're not going to want to eat those. The ones that are beautiful and intact, um, well, the fun part is taking them out of their scary, you know, outer shell. So hopefully that's already popped open and you're really just lifting out the chestnut. That's that's when they're ripe. So that's what you're looking for. Um, they, they make a little tool. It's a chestnut tool. It looks like a beak, a metal beak on the end of a little handle. And you can score the bottom of the chestnut with that, which is great because... Then when you roast them at 325 degrees, which we just lay them on a sheet pan. We don't put anything on them. Um, and, you know, you can do it however you want, but that's how, what we do. And, uh, you know, using that little tool gives a score on the bottom, which helps them to pop open as they roast. And that's what helps you to, you know, they're, they're a bit of a, a chore removing them from their shell. And you're going to kind of damage your hands a tiny bit when you're doing it. But it's, again, it's worth the work. And uh, you can also try to crush them a little bit and, and release that shell as well. And you want to get that thin membrane that's on the outside of the chestnut off as well. You don't want to eat that. So you have the outer shell, then that kind of like little brown membrane. Uh, remove that. And then you have beautiful chestnuts to work with. And easy, quick puree to make. Uh, a little you know, bit. Ven- of- venison, oh, chestnut mm-hmm. puree. It's like top 10 all-time classic things. Just a little bit of cream. I would saute a little bit of onion, add a little bit of cream, the chestnuts. And, you know, if you choose to put a spice in there, I would put salt and pepper in. I like it to be savory um, and just, yeah, and just they are very starchy. So if you're yeah. going to need some extra liquid, they yeah. will seize up a blender in a heartbeat. Um, but, a, yeah, a little bit of chestnut goes a really long way because of that starch content. Well, and they have a natural sweetness, and mm-hmm. that that's the thing that sets off the game. It's nice to have. And, all right, now I'm properly hungry. And that's all we have time for. 
If you want to listen to this episode again or any one of our other podcasts, please go to the WIPR website, WIPR.org. Look for the Foreman Wolf page. Uh, there's a full menu of goodies there uh, with past episodes. If you want to correspond with us via email, it's foremanwolf at WIPR.org. To follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram as Chef Wolf. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. And thanks so much for listening. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday.